This is a production of Women's Voices, a volunteer organization recording women's literary works for the purpose of education and broader access to the public. For more information, visit womens-voices.org. Over the last several years, transgender activism has made sweeping gains. Proponents of this ideology have succeeded in positioning gender identity as the social justice issue of our day. But are the claims made by these activists actually true? What does it mean to say that people can be born in the wrong body? Does the concept of gender identity break down stereotypes about the nature of men and women, or does it reinforce them? And what about the rights of women and girls? On February 1, 2020, the U.S.-based organization Women's Liberation Front hosted a panel event called The New Misogyny. Three women's rights campaigners, Megan Murphy, Saba Malik, and Kara Dansky, presented a critical analysis of gender identity and made arguments for sex-based women's rights. The event took place at the Seattle Public Library in downtown Seattle, Washington, despite protesters inside and outside the building. This is the talk given by Megan Murphy, a Canadian journalist and founder of Canada's leading feminist website, Feminist Current. Hey, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> um, I actually do first want to thank you all for coming. <laughs> um, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Maybe you would. Um, <laughs> it is a brave feat in and of itself, just showing up to events like this. Um, it demonstrates a commitment to supporting women's rights, free speech, and true democratic principles. <laughs> These events do not happen on their own. It seems people are not clamoring to offer space funding, and security so that feminists can say blasphemous things like men are not women. <laughs> These events happen purely through women's will and organizing. They happen because independent women and women's groups make them happen and refuse to back down under pressure, bullying, endless obstacles, and threats. And flutes, apparently. <laughs> this has been true across the globe, from New Zealand to Scotland to Britain to Toronto to Vancouver and now to Seattle. Women struggle, women fight, and women organize. We do this because we have to, because we have no choice. We have always had to force our voices into the public realm to demand to be heard and to demand our rights. And despite all the progress we thought we'd made, now is unfortunately no different. Despite endless claims online that we're funded by evil right-wing institutions and that we're all getting rich off of all of this, <laughs> that we're somehow operating from a position of power and privilege rather than from the ground up, the truth is that this is the women's movement. This is the independent grassroots women's movement. 
The same one that's been around since the 1800s when women had to fight tooth and nail simply to be recognized as persons and be included in public life. This is feminism, this is women's liberation, and those who are trying to stop us, to shut us down, to shut us up, to have us fired, to terrify us into silence with endless violent threats, who try to bully you all into staying home by screaming misogynist insults in your faces simply for trying to participate in a conversation about women's rights. These are the regressive, backwards, anti-feminist authoritarians. This is the backlash. This is the hate. This is the bigotry, which I like to remind people means intolerance toward those who hold different opinions from oneself. There is manipulative rhetoric and efforts to frame this backlash as progress, but it is not. It is the same woman hating and the same efforts to force us back into the home, back into silence, and back into fear as it always has been. We are uppity women who dare speak the truth, and that is why they want to burn us at the stake. And we cannot stop saying this, we cannot stop reminding the world that this is true. We cannot stop telling and retelling history because history repeats itself when we don't, as we are seeing today, via the so-called trans rights movement. I say so-called because I want to be clear that this isn't about trans rights. There are no rights being fought for for trans people within this activism. The activists outside are not fighting to create services and safe spaces for trans-identified people. They're certainly not fighting for the children told they're trans because they like or dislike the color pink, being put on puberty blockers, hormones, and on a path to surgery and sterility. Rather, this is a fight to end women's rights, to destroy the very foundation for women's rights, and, in fact, to destroy the women's movement itself. I'm not being hyperbolic. If we can't define women as adult human females and argue that women share a particular experience in this world and have experienced historical oppression due only to having been born female, there is no basis for women's rights. We cannot defend women's spaces and women's organizing if there's no such thing as a woman, or if a woman is anything anyone says it is, based only on a feeling, an announcement, or an affinity towards uncomfortable shoes and lacy underwear. <laughs> I spoke with uh, Lee Lakeman this week. Uh, if you aren't familiar with her, you should be. <laughs> um, she headed up Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter, Canada's longest standing rape crisis center for decades. And, and she reminded me that the transition houses that were built for women during the second wave were not simply shelters. They were political spaces. Spaces where theory and analysis happened, spaces of consciousness raising. They were activist spaces. 
Vancouver Rape Relief faced a long court battle in the mid-90s, which is often misinterpreted as an effort to ensure a woman-only policy, misconstrued by anti-feminist activists as trans-exclusionary, that in fact was about their right to determine their own membership. In 1995, Kimberly Nixon, a trans-identified male, filed a human rights complaint against Vancouver Rape Relief after being rejected from a training group for counselors. So, Rape Relief operates on a peer counseling model, which means that women counsel other women based on their shared life experience of being born female into an oppressed class and treated and socialized the way women and girls are throughout their lives. Victims of domestic abuse, rape, and prostitution can train to become counselors and help other women. So when Kimberly Nixon appeared in the training group, the three women on duty took him aside and explained that the collective had a position that women are born into oppressive circumstances that shape their lives. And they explained that because Nixon didn't have those experiences, he would not be invited into the training group. This apparently amounts to discrimination. Not being permitted to access a volunteer position in a transition house for women escaping and healing from male violence. This was not, again, about refusing to support trans-identified victims of violence. And it's not even about protecting women from male violence within the transition house. It's not only about that in any case. It's also about a key principle of the women's liberation movement, which is consciousness raising. And that there is and has always been an understanding that certain conversations can be had and certain awareness can be raised around the common experiences of women and girls, and that that can only happen among women. This is indeed how the second wave began, through consciousness raising groups, through women getting together and talking about their lives and shared experiences of oppression, harassment, abuse, and other forms of sexism, and realizing, oh, it's not just me, it's all of us, and how do we change this? So within all this focus on bathrooms and the right to pee, used by trans activists as a means to diminish women's concerns and position us as cruel aggressors, refusing others basic human rights, we lose sight of the purpose of this movement, the trans rights movement, which is to destroy female solidarity, to gaslight us all into believing that victims are powerful abusers, to remove our ability to even discuss women as a class of people, and therefore in needs of rights and spaces of our own, as well as, of course, to destroy any possibility of political organizing. There is nothing to organize around as feminists if there are no women, and if women don't have a particular experience historically, socially, and politically in this world. This is the most ingenious and insidious backlash against feminism to date. Today, to define woman as adult human female has been framed as hate speech. So has the notion that one cannot change biological sex. 
Stonewall, Britain's premier LGBT charity, defines the term trans as anyone whose gender is not the same as or does not sit comfortably with the sex they were assigned at birth. Which, putting aside the fact that sex is not assigned but observed, applies to almost everyone. Certainly to feminists who have always rejected sexist gender roles and the notion that women are inherently passive and enjoy being treated as sexualized objects that exist to please the male gaze. But we cannot say that the rejection of said roles do not make a person trans or literally the opposite sex. We also can no longer say that only women get pregnant and give birth. The effect of this is that we cannot name the root of patriarchy, which came to be at the point men realized they played a role in reproduction and wanted to control their bloodline, which meant controlling women, those who were responsible for birthing and caring for said bloodline. We can no longer say that it is men who are primarily responsible for violence against women, which means that we cannot defend our need for women-only spaces or for spaces like transition houses and shelters. We cannot, in other words, name reality or name a reason the women's movement need exist at all. So there's more to it than just the men as a threat angle. Uh, lest we get tied up in discussing how men are perpetually predatorial and women are perpetually victims, which is not to say that women are not vulnerable to men. Of course they are, and this is much of the point. But there is also the political angle that underpins all of this. We cannot allow this conversation to continue to be reduced to predatorial men in bathrooms. In Vancouver, a trans activist and wannabe politician named Morgan Auger Ogre, if you will, <laughs> headed up a campaign to pressure the city to remove funding from Vancouver Rape Relief. This wasn't actually funding for the transition house itself or for services for women, but it was for public education, which Rape Relief does for free and has for decades. They hold talks and panels and show documentaries that educate people about women's rights, the realities of marginalized women, of male violence, and of the feminist movement. They are probably one of the only organizations doing this in Canada. OJ would, of course, go after any grant he could, any funding he could for any group or organization that fails to comply with his agenda, but this particular law seems significant to me in that it attempts to stop women from gathering and speaking and learning from one another. It cuts us off from our history and from political organizing. And the city complied, of course, as our most progressive politicians fear being disliked by a few angry men more than they fear a dissolution of the feminist movement. Certainly more than they desire to protect women and enable them to live lives safely and autonomously. Women have always had to fight to tell the truth. Centuries ago, women were too outspoken, women who were too outspoken and who talked back would be branded witches and burned at the stake, or tortured with devices now replicated for BDSM, something women are now told constitutes female empowerment and liberation. 
Women who spoke out were made to wear scolds bridles and paraded around the village to teach other women a lesson. You too will be shamed, ostracized, and tortured. Don't be like her, don't speak up, don't support her, or it will happen to you. Today, women like me are held up as an example, used to instill fear in other women. Do not side with her, do not support her, do not stand up and do not speak out, or you will too be smeared, vilified in the press, threatened with violence and death, ostracized by your community, abandoned by your friends, fired from your jobs, pushed out of your political circles, and banned from social media. <laughs> of course, far too many women are far too rebellious to surrender. Women are organizing and speaking out and pushing back regardless. That's why we are here at this event today. We have all been labeled dangerous and hateful. On the event page for the protest against this event, I was referred to as a professional anti-trans hate writer. <laughs> Who knew that could be like a career? <laughs> and what did I say to earn this descriptor? That men are not women, that one's sex is immutable, that one can and should push back against gender stereotypes and live one's life in a way that feels authentic and comfortable, that boys and girls should play with whatever toys they like, that female athletes should not be made to compete against and with male athletes, and that it's dangerous to allow males access to certain spaces wherein women and girls are vulnerable. I have rejected the term cis, which posits which posits that all females who identify as women embrace femininity. I have expressed concerns about putting children on hormones and puberty blockers that have tremendous that have tremendous lifelong health implications and that render them sterile. I have questioned the notion of gender identity, which claims one can feel like a woman on the inside, and that feeling like a woman is attached to things like wearing high heels, having long hair, and enjoying sexual objectification. I have rejected the notion that these feelings are what define a woman, not the material reality of being born female. I have defended Vancouver Rape Relief's right to define their own membership, to create and protect space for women to escape male violence, heal, and organize. I have challenged media, politicians, lawmakers, activists, corporations, social media companies, NGOs, public institutions, and friends on their choice to throw women under the bus in favor of Newspeak because it is financially, politically, or socially beneficial in the short term to do so. I am not hateful, I'm truthful, 
And it would do us all well to think hard about what it says about the integrity and values of a person who frames the truth as hate. And whether or not these are the kinds of people we wish to lead us towards progress and emancipation. Thanks.